Everybody, great to see you. And, and you know this, but Tuesday, New Year 2019. Uh, I believe that 2019 is going to be your best year. The best year that you have ever, ever had. And I know that's what you want. You want it to be your best year. But this is what I know for sure. That if 2019 is your best year spiritually, it will be your best year. So what we're doing, as we have for probably a decade, uh, we kick off the year with a time of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting and uh, beginning on Tuesday morning. Now, some of you, you know, you've heard us talk about fasting in the past. Some of you, uh, fasting is a totally foreign concept. When we talk about fasting, you think we're talking about McDonald's, Burger King, you know, fast food, and that's about as close to it as you get. But actually, fasting scripturally is doing without food. Now, it can be done in a lot of ways. And by the way, Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say if, he said when. And, and I know that in the church today, in the Western church today, it's kind of a lost art. It's kind of a forgotten piece of theology. Uh, how many of you were, were brought up Catholic? It's kind of wave at me. How remember that on, on Friday you would only eat what? Fish. And, and, and honestly, that was kind of like the end of fasting. But for literally a thousand years, the first thousand years of the church, all Christians were just expected to fast every Tuesday and every Thursday for a thousand years. And it just kind of diminished to the point where, 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 where now you talk to a Christian about fasting and they're kind of like, huh? You know, isn't that for like Billy Graham? Maybe Joyce Meyer or somebody like that? Maybe. It's kind of a foreign concept. Now, here's the reason for it. First Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Least after I preach to others, I myself could become a castaway. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, although I wrote much of your Bible, although I've been to heaven and come back and had visions of Jesus, my body gives me problems. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, I got problems with my body. My body is crazy, wants to do stupid stuff and wants to run my life. So I discipline it. I don't give it what it wants. And uh, the way that you do that is by not giving it what it wants. Number one thing your body wants is food. So typically in the Bible, fasting is a 24-hour period of time where all you do is drink water. Now, if you've got some sort of health issue, talk to your doctor. But uh, you think that it will kill you. It will not. Uh, by noon, your body will tell you you're going to die, but you won't. You will not die. And see, what you do is you discipline your body and you take that time that you would spend eating and you pray. You read your Bible and you seek God. Right? You put God first and you're disciplining your body. And what happens afterwards, there's always a residual. You, you, it takes you to a place of dominion over your flesh, over your body, and you stay there for a while. So 
That's why it was something that was done regularly throughout Christendom. Now, now there's, there's the full fast, the 24 hours like that. And uh, during this 21 days, we want everybody to participate. We don't want you to fast for 21 days. That's not what we're asking. All right. Just sometime during that. Now, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel fasts for 21 days, but he does what is referred to as a partial fast or a Daniel fast. And what Daniel said he did, he said, I ate no bread, no sugar, no meat, and drank only water. And so he eliminated certain things from his diet during this 21 day period where he's focusing, literally he's focusing on prayer and seeking God for those 21 days. And after 21 days, there's a supernatural breakthrough that takes place. So you can kind of design your own partial fast. You can do what Daniel did, no bread, no sugar, no meat, drink just water. And so you're going to, you know, you're going to eat fruit and vegetables and legumes and eggs and dairy, but there's things that you eliminate from your diet. Again, that's called a partial fast or a Daniel fast. And you can do that for an extended period of time. And, uh, I started early and let me just tell you the hardest thing for me is coffee. My morning latte, my body talks to me, right? And it wants the latte. And I'm like, no. So you can do different things or you can just skip a meal once in a while during this 21 days. And, and it's not what you're not doing but it's also what you're doing that's important. If, if all you do is not eat, that is a really, really bad diet. Now, there's all sorts of better ones out there. It's not just what you're not doing, it's what you're doing. You take that time and you spend time seeking God, making, seeking the Lord your, your number one priority. So that we're gonna begin on Tuesday. We'd like everybody uh, to participate in some form that works for you. Now, as for today, I want to bring you a message entitled Embracing the Fight. I want to start in James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, notice the Bible is talking here that there's going to be trials. There's going to be tests. You're, you're going to be facing opposition. There's going to be giants. There's going to be things that are going to be standing against you. And it says, when it happens, count it all joy. But we don't. We're just like, why is this happening to me? You know, we have got this crazy idea that you become a Christian and you float through life on a magic carpet ride. And everything is rose petals, strawberries, and chocolate. But it's not. In fact, Paul said this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And literally, he called the Christian life a fight. In fact, I love what he said, the good fight. He's not saying it was bad. He's saying it was good. And literally, the Christian life, from the womb to the tomb, it is a fight. It's a fight to live for God. It's a fight to love God, to serve God. It is a fight to love God's people. And we're fighting against the devil, against sin, against the flesh, against temptation, against culture. And you're warring in prayer. It is a fight. And again, it's not a flowery bed of ease. Listen to Hebrews 11. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were sown, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these have obtained a good testimony through faith. They, they, were, they were living by faith, and uh, they were going through all sorts of trials and tribulation. Paul said to Timothy, as he would say to every one of us, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. He's saying you need to recognize it's a fight. The Christian life is a fight and it's a good fight. And you need to embrace the fact that it's going to be a fight. And when you're, you're up against opposition, don't go like, why is this happening to me? I mean, I love God and I read my Bible. I pray I go to church. Why is this happening? We need to embrace the fight. Uh, at the end of World War II, Germany is surrendered. It's 1945. And Winston Churchill is at the dinner table with a woman. Uh, there's a lot of stories about Winston Churchill, and, and uh, particularly as he's sitting at the table, uh, there's a story about him having tea with a political opponent at the table. And she looked at Winston Churchill and she said, Winston, if I was your wife, I would poison your tea. He said, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> but on another occasion, this woman said to him, now that the war is over, what was the worst moment of the war? Was it the fall of France, the threat of invasion, the blitz, the bombing of London? After a moment, he said, frankly, my dear, I enjoyed every moment of it. Now, he essentially said, I enjoyed the fight. He didn't enjoy sleeping in a cot in an underground bunker while London was being bombed. He didn't enjoy sending men into a fight where many of them were going to lose their life. But he did enjoy the fact that he was fighting for a great cause, that he could stand against something that was evil, and he embraced the fight, challenged his nation to fight, and led the free world to victory. Frankly, ma'am, I enjoyed the fight. And that really needs to be the attitude that every Christian has. You are in a fight. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says there is no release from that war. You're in a war, you're in a fight, and our attitude not, needs to be not as strange that I'm in this fight, but we need to embrace the fight. It's the good fight of faith. Stop whining. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Resistance is normal. You weren't called to live an easy Christian life. If you're going to follow the dreams that God has put in your heart, in your destiny, you are going to face opposition. Ministry is a fight. Now, seeing your dreams that God puts in your heart come true, it's always going to be a fight. And those of you that are in business, how many of you know it's always a fight? It's a struggle. Pursuing your dreams, there's opposition. 
But you need to embrace the fight. You need to relish the fight. And fighting is better in an uninspired status quo life. I would much rather be in a fight. And the struggle really does make the victory sweet. Now, when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, they go through the desert and they come to the promised land. And God said, I've given you this land. And there are seven nations, there's walled cities, there's giants, and they need to go in and they need to fight. Now, some people have said that Canaan is a type of heaven, but it's not. Because when you get to heaven, there aren't going to be any giants, there aren't going to be any enemies, there aren't going to be any walled cities to take possession of. Now, that promised land is a type of a victorious Christian life. And if you're going to live a victorious Christian life, you're going to have to realize you're going to have to fight some battles. And I think it's interesting that the Israelites had to breach the walls of the enemy territory 115 times. In other words, it just wasn't one fight and it was all over. But after they took possession and Joshua has divided up the inheritance in the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, it says, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This is only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who did not formally know it. So God left enemies specifically to make sure that the next generation understood war, that there were battles, that there were going to be victories, there are going to be setbacks, that they could see God's hand, that they could fight for a great cause, that there would be an opportunity to exercise their faith. And how many of you know the kingdom of God, it is a great cause. When David was going to fight Goliath, this is what he said. He said, is there not a cause? You know, he embraced the fight. He was willing to attack. Second Timothy chapter two. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer with him. People think they're going to live the Christian life. Again, it's going to be a magic carpet ride. And they're just going to float through. And there's going to be no fight, no battle, no opposition. It is not the truth. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, there is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around you in terror and be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. God says, I will strengthen you and I will harden you with difficulties. <laughs> in the difficulties. Not in the easy times, but as you go through the difficulties that you're going to face as a believer. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, we do not fight against people with bodies, but against spirits without bodies. We're fighting against demons. We're fighting against the devil. And there is a war. And every day is a proving day. 
Every day is a day that you can stand for the kingdom of God and you can fight the battle. And don't ever say, I can't anymore. I believe this. I believe that you can stand up against anything the devil dishes out because you're full of the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You have the name of Jesus. You're washed in the blood. Paul said this, for a great and effectual, or excuse me, a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. Many adversaries. Now, when you go in to do the will of God, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be battles. There's going to be giants. It's normal. And much of the way that we fight is found in Isaiah 54. It's not the only way, but it's much of the way. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is me is from me, says the Lord. So it says that when a, a word, a tongue is spoken against you, it says you need to rise up in judgment and condemn it. You know, when somebody says everybody in your family, they've got problems with depression, they're on medication, it won't be long before you'll be on medication and we'll have you down at Pine Rest. You need to speak to and say, no, that isn't happening to me because I'm part of the kingdom of God and I've got righteousness, I've got joy and I've got peace and I have the mind of Christ and I will not fall into that. When somebody says everybody in your family's always been poor, you know, you're never going to own a house. You're never going to have a car except you're making payments on that car. You need to rise up and you need to say, no, that's not true because my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to have sufficient. He supplies for my needs. When somebody says to you, you know, your mother's been divorced four times and you're going to have the same thing. You're just going to go through marriages, three, four, five marriages. You're just going to have a divorce. You need to say, no, that is not going to happen to me. No, it's not. In Jesus' name, my family is blessed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, my family is sanctified. They're set apart by God, and my family's going to be blessed, and we're going to serve God. I'm going to be just like Abraham. The Bible says about Abraham that he commanded his family after him. I'm commanding my family after me, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Somebody tells you, yeah, you're addicted and you'll never get free. You need to tell them, no, that ain't happening. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. And he sets me free and I am going to stay free in Jesus' name. Now, in Ephesians 6, 16, it takes, says to take the shield of faith with which you will quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. The shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, I think it's really interesting that in James chapter three, it says that your tongue is set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell. Now listen, most of the fiery darts that are gonna come against you are gonna come out of somebody's mouth or out of your mouth. It's amazing how many people are speaking things negatively about their own life, their own marriage, their own family, their own body, and their own finances. 
And it, it, what we need to do is we need to recognize that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. And you need to watch your words. But when somebody else says something, you need to condemn it. The Bible says, rise up and condemn that thing in Jesus name. First Timothy six twelve, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. It's a good fight. The Christian life, it's a good fight. And you need to relish it. And God will use it to shape you. And the struggles, again, make the victory sweeter. Again, in Judges 3, the generation that hadn't had any battles, God left the enemy so that they would. They needed something to fight for and something to stand against. They needed to have some battles, some victories, and some setbacks. And by the way, when there's a setback, don't take a step back because God's already preparing your comeback. God wants to bring you, the Bible says, from victory to victory, from glory to glory. See, God wanted the children of Israel to use their faith, and he wants you and I to use our faith. He wanted them to be obedient in standing against the enemy and conquering the enemy. God has given us something great to fight for. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. You know, I've heard parents say this. I don't want my kids to have to struggle like I did. Listen, it's those struggles that gave you character. They built your character. And if your kids don't ever have any struggles and all you do is protect them from anything, you're going to end up with wimpy kids. We don't want wimpy kids, all right? It builds character. And when you stand against the enemy, a giant, when there's a struggle, when there's opposition, and you rise up in Jesus' name and you stand there, it causes you to become stronger. You know, weightlifters, they'll lay on that bench and that weight comes down. And if it just stayed there, it would crush them. But if they push it away, they become stronger. They become stronger. And when you, when that attack of the enemy comes, the devil's plan is for it to crush you. But when you push it away in Jesus name, you become stronger and stronger in God. The enemy tells you, oh, you know, you're, you're underneath. There's nothing you can do. You may, it's there. You may just as well go for it. No, but when you push that thing away in Jesus name, it makes you stronger than you were before. First Peter one, six. In this, you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice it says to rejoice in this, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying the struggles, the challenges, the conflicts, the difficulties that you and I face today, as we pursue the God-given dreams and visions that God puts inside of us, that they are going to cause our faith to be strong. And when Jesus comes back, we'll receive praise and honor and glory. Now, when Jeannie and I, we, we went to Mexico in 1975 as missionaries. And we went to help a missionary who was already there. 
They had, they had a coffee house ministry. And, and my job literally was I, I, I cleaned the place. I cleaned the bathrooms. I opened the doors for services. I swept the floor, set up the chairs, cut the grass. I was just, the, I was just doing everything that I could to help the missionary that was there. A couple of university students from the coffee house went to his house and said, uh, could we use your basketball? And he said, well, he says, I have a basketball. He said, but it, it, it's, it's a leather basketball. He said, and if you played on concrete, you'd ruin it. He said, are you playing on a wood floor? And they said, oh yeah, we're going to play on a wood floor. And they took his basketball and went and played on concrete. Came back and it ruined his basketball. I, I don't know what a, a, a really nice basketball costs. hundred dollars, something like that. 120 bucks. And they came back and they gave him that basketball and he lost it. He lo- he just lost it. I, I was there and he said, that's it. He said, we're done. He said, we're leaving. I said, what do you mean? He said, that's, I can't take any more. We're gone. And uh, I said, well, what about your the ministry? He said, uh, uh, uh. he said, well, he said, the devil can have it or you can have it. I don't care. And he threw me the keys. Next morning at six o'clock, they were already gone. They had packed in the night and they left. He left ministry over a hundred dollar basketball. Over 40 years have come and gone. Never went back into the ministry. And uh, I hope he's in heaven. Not sure. Tell you the truth. How many of you can bear a little more than losing a basketball? But you know, I, I know that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That wasn't, that wasn't the whole, that wasn't the whole story. But how many of you know you need to be willing to suffer? You need to be willing to sacrifice. You need to be willing to do whatever needs to be done. I want to read a story to you as we close today out of second Kings chapter six and verse eight, beginning there. It says, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp shall be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. The king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus, he warned him and he was careful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, will you show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servants of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servants said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So as the prophet in Israel is giving the the king of Israel the plans of the Syrian king, the Syrian king sends an army to go get him. 
And they surround the city. And when Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, he goes out and there the city is surrounded by the Syrians. And he's like, we are in trouble. And he says to the prophet, we, what are we going to do? And the prophet answered and listen, he said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I think about that time, the servant was like, you should have taken more math in school. There's 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000, 15,000, 18,000, 20,000 of them. One, two. Remember that 20,000 is greater than two. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and he said, strike the people I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. He says, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Uh, you, you, you do, and I, we don't, we don't see into that realm. But if, if we could look into that realm right now, this room would be full of angels. Uh, I, I remember, I know a lot of times today when people get married, they put their own wedding vows together. But I remember the old ceremony. This is how we would start. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together today in the presence of God and his holy angels to join in holy matrimony this man and this woman who gives this woman to be married to this man in the presence of God and his holy angels. We don't look into that realm, but God has given us an ability, listen, to see his will for our life and to know what Jesus purchased for us at the cross. And the way that we do that, by the way, is by meditating in God's word. It's by meditating in his word. And when you get in that word and you meditate, God opens your eyes and you see what Jesus purchased for you. You see who you are in Christ. You see who the devil really is. And it, there is something supernatural that happens when you spend time in the word of God. Now, I've been talking to you today about the battle, about embracing the battle. Because there's too many of us. We live our life as Christians as if there was no battle, as if there was no enemy. But the truth is, to fulfill the destiny that God has for you and for me, we need to fight the good fight. We need to embrace the battle. We need to recognize we're a part of the kingdom of God. There is no release from that war, the Bible says. And if we're going to have the victory that God wants us to have, we're going to have to stand up and we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to stand up. We're going to have to fight. Now, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now. But if you have been sitting back 
and you have just been letting life happen and you have not been standing up and saying, I embrace this battle, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to fight, I'm going to take the, the, the authority that Jesus has given me, I'm going to rise up against every voice that condemns me, I'm going to do what the heritage of the Lord is. If that's you, and you want to make a commitment today to stand up, to live a different life, to embrace that battle, to fight the good fight of faith, I want to invite you to just simply come right down here, right now say 2019 is going to be different for me than 2018. I am not just going to sit back and let life happen. I recognize that I need to stand up, that I need to take authority in Jesus' name. I want 2019 to be different. I want the victory that Jesus purchased for me. I want to have it in my life. And I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to receive what Jesus has for me. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Steadfast in faith. Everybody, would you just extend your hands? And Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. We thank you, Father, that we are a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And Father, I thank you that people are making a commitment right now that they're not going to sit back, but they're going to rise up and they're going to take the kingdom by force. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you strengthen them with spiritual might and strength by your spirit. Lord, that they can understand who they are in Christ, what belongs to them, the victory that Jesus purchased for us, Father, and they can be extensions of the kingdom of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.